Hey, welcome to Four Corners. My name is Ben. I am so glad you're here for the kickoff of My Awesome Kids, our message series we're going to be doing beginning today for the next few weeks. Now, we're calling it My Awesome Kids because we all think our kids are awesome. And in one sense, they are. But the real truth of the matter is, is they're not perfect. And that's okay. In fact, you weren't perfect when you were a kid either. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk candidly and honestly about some of the challenges involved in parenting. Now, nobody told me, for instance, that kids make noises in the night. And so when my daughter was born and we came home from the hospital, I thought I'd be the good dad, kind of serve duty, and I would give Jill that first night at home a rest and I would watch our daughter, Ellen. Man, I was ready to go. I'm really, really excited about this. And Jill, she turns over, and she had had a few a hard couple of days, so she, you know, fell asleep. And there was me and my daughter. And then she would make these weird noises, and each one of them would cause me to open my eyes wide open, wide awake, instantly. And so she would make a little gurgling noise, and I'd look at her and make sure she was okay. And a few times her breathing would slow, and I, I knew she was dead, so I'd lean over. And, put my finger over her hand or over her mouth and just, you know, see if she was breathing because they don't come with an instruction manual fully. Not only that, but I had served as a high school teacher for a while and I had the chance to look at a lot of other kids. I mean, a lot of kids. I had had a chance to see kids up close and personal and watch some family dynamics from a distance. And so my experience growing up as a kid in a family that was pretty good, but certainly not perfect, my experience as a teacher watching a bunch of pretty good kids, but none of them perfect, and some of them really much less than perfect, and then my own hopes as a parent raising kids that I hoped would be awesome and knowing that they are, but not fully perfect, brings us to an honest moment here in this room. Here's our honest moment. You're not perfect, and your kids aren't perfect, and your parents weren't perfect, But we need to talk about it because the stakes are high. The stakes are very high. There probably isn't a more important task given to a group of people than parenting. And this gift of parenting is given to us by God. I don't know where you are in the spiritual spectrum today. If you're all the way bought into a relationship with Jesus or maybe you're on the other side and you're not even sure he exists. But I want to tell you something about the Bible that perhaps you didn't know. The Bible is really the story of a family. It's the story of some specific families and how they engaged God and often how they got it wrong, but God showed up in grace. That's one way to say that the Bible is about a family. But in another sense, it's about a heavenly father that did all he could to reach out and expand his family. And it's that part of being a family connected to our heavenly father that really motivates us here in this place called Four Corners. We believe that everybody does better when they're an active part of God's family, that life goes better and eternity goes better when we acknowledge our heavenly father. Maybe you haven't thought about that in a while, that you have a heavenly father. Now, you're probably aware of some kind of fathering dynamic in your past. You either knew your father and you're happy about that, or you knew your father and you're not so happy about that, or maybe you didn't know your father, but perhaps today you didn't know that you have a heavenly father. Well, everything we're going to talk about in family, practically here and now about what we are to think about it and how we're to consider it, all of that actually flows from the heart of our heavenly father because family, parenting, was really his idea. And when Jill and I started having our kids, you know, 
we, we had a lot of conversation. In fact, here's kind of the way our story went. It was first comes love and then comes marriage. And then there became a lot of conversations about the baby carriage because I was, you know, not 100% certain. I was confident that if God gave me the gift of having the role of a father, that I was going to screw my little kids up. And rather than saving up for college, we've been putting away money for their therapy. That's how that's been working in our family. Because I've made some major mistakes as a dad. I remember one time we were driving. Uh, Jill and I lived in South Florida, uh, in Tampa. And, and so not quite all the way South Florida, but much more deep south than here. And we were coming up I-75 on our way up to visit her family. She's from Xenia, Ohio. And so we were on our way up and we passed through South Georgia. Now, a lot of you know that the Bible was originally written in Greek and then was translated into English. And so South Georgia is Greek. If you translate it directly, it means speed trap. That's how, how that works. And so I was coming up through South Georgia and the lights, the blue lights turn on and I pull over and I'm thinking, how am I going to get out of this ticket? How am I going to get out of this ticket? Now, when the cop walks up to my window, he says, now, and why were you going so fast? And I said, and I just, it comes to me, I totally made it up on the spot. I said, my wife. She has to go to the bathroom. And I looked at him and I said, and I got this little girl in the back and do you have a family? And he's like, yes. I said, your wife ever like tell you late she's got to go to the bathroom? He's like, well, you just passed an exit. I said, I know, tell her, tell her. She's going to have to give me more warning. And he says, well, if you'll go on up to the next exit, um, you know, there's a bathroom up there, but just keep it under the speed limit. And I got out of the ticket. I mean, I totally got out of the ticket. I roll up my window. We didn't have an electric window, so I'm rolling up my window and driving away and I look at my wife and I've got that smug look of, I have just succeeded. I have beat down the man. And she looks at me and she says, you feel pretty good, don't you? I said, yes. I can't believe it. I got out of this. She said, yeah. But what it cost you was your daughter got to hear you lie. I thought, "Uh uh-oh, that's a big deal. It's a major parenting fail in a moment, right? Here's another one. I won't tell you the details because it's kind of a family thing, but I remember standing in the kitchen talking to one of my kids and I said something like this. This was not my best moment. I said, you know, the government only requires me to feed you. It doesn't require me to give you food that you actually like. (laughs) And, um, And it went downhill from there. And then I said, and I have to give you shelter, but as of this moment forward, your bedroom is the corner of the dining room. Get a blanket and a pillow because that's it. And I, and I like stepped back and I was like, whoa, who is talking to this kid? I, wh- how did we get here? I, in fact, some of my biggest fails as a dad has been with some of the words I've used. And often it wasn't that my words were inaccurate or a blatant lie. Sometimes it was just the tone or the timing with which I spoke. And so the idea of being a dad, being a mom, if you're in the room today, let me tell you what we're not going to do. We're not trying to pour guilt on anybody or to make anybody feel condemned because we could talk about parenting in such a way today that we elevate the bar. But the moment we elevate the bar, here's what happens. We all realize we're somewhere south. I mean, we're, we're somewhere down here. So that's not what we're trying to do. What we want to do, we want to talk about what God's heart in parenting is, and we want to try to establish some, some basic idea of this. How do you even know if it's going well? How do you even know if you're doing it right? Because you don't really know how parenting is ending up until you end up being done largely with parenting. I mean, you get some indicators along the way. Evidently, I'm a really good parent when my kids are at other people's houses, because that's what I hear. Your kids are so well behaved. But I'm going to tell you what, if they were to come home and be at our house, it's not true. It's not true. I mean, I appreciate them keeping up the facade and all that, you know, but, but it's not true. 
I mean, we, we are just a normal family. So how do you even know? At what point can you look at your kids and go, I, I think I'm doing pretty good. Now, here, here's the good news. You can pull from your own experience because everybody in the room was a kid. And to some degree, everybody in the room has been parented. And so you can pull from your own experience and evaluate. There's some things about your childhood you're going to repeat. There's some things about your childhood you're not going to repeat. That's good. That's a good source of wisdom. You, You can pull from some of your friends, like how they're doing it. You can pull from some of your kids' friends, and you can think to yourself, whatever that family's doing, we're not doing that, right? But you have another source of wisdom. It's right from the pages of God's word. In fact, we're going to go to a handful of passages today, and we're going to look at a few things that help us evaluate what the goal of parenting even is. What should you even be trying to do? What should you even be trying to do? So if you have young kids in the room today, you're in luck, because I wish somebody would have sat me down when I first started having kids and told me some of the stuff we're going to talk about. I think, I think it might would have made a positive difference. But, but perhaps you're like me and your kids are on the upper end of the scale now. Uh, let me just make it clear to you that, that that's okay. Uh, you're not done. In fact, you're never not a parent once you have kids, right? Because even if they're past adulthood, you still are engaging them. There's some practical stuff for, for even parents today of kids of adults. But, but, but there's another group of people. If you were ever a kid, now that's all of us, all right? If you were ever a kid, we're going to talk about some things today that in, to some degree should have happened in your life, but it may not have. It, it, you may have come to your adulthood not fully equipped with all the experiences and all the learning and all the great stuff that should have happened in your family of origin. That, that's very possible. I had a very good set of parents who did a pretty good job and all the mistakes in my life are mine to own, but even then they weren't perfect. We're, I'm going to show you some passages and some principles from God's word today that are going to help you understand even some of your own background so that maybe if you come to today's discussion and you're a little bit behind the eight ball, at least you know where to begin trying to make up some ground. All right? Now, to just kind of start on this, I want to show up, guys, if you'll throw up that entire chart of the stages of parenting, just all four of those slides together. Let's just talk about this for a second. I came across this. This is not explicitly in the Bible. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, a, a applied theology, all right? But you understand that what you do for a five-year-old is different than the way you engage a 15-year-old. So somebody exposed me to this kind of idea later uh, in, in my parenting. I wish I had known it earlier. But over the next few weeks, as we continue this conversation called My Amazing Kids, one of the things I want to help you understand is, is that at different stages, kids require different things. And timeliness is important. So for instance, in years one through five, it may always feel like if you're a young mom, you're disciplining your kids. Don't do this. Don't touch that. Don't put that in your mouth. Don't hit your sister, right? Don't say don't. Don't say no, all right? All that sort of thing. Um, You may feel like that's all you're doing. And to some degree you are. This is a hard hard stage, but here's here's the good news. It's temporary. It's a temporary stage. In fact, somebody said it this way, that the days can be very long but the years are short. The days can feel very long, but the years are short. So, so here, here's another phase. About five to 12 is kind of the training years. In fact, you're kind of outsourcing that. They go to school. You're kind of outsourcing your parenting a little bit. And your role isn't in the day-to-day, every activity. But to some degree, you're still parenting. But now you're training them things like discipline and how important homework is and all that good stuff. 
but even that changes because by the time they're right on their teenage years, if you've done some discipline well and you've done some training well, now you're moving into a coaching stage. Because all of us look forward to that time when our kids are adults and we can engage them in healthy, enjoyable, what looks like friendship kinds of ways. Now, don't raise your hand, but for a lot of us, this has eluded us. With our own kids, maybe as a kid with your parents, you came to your adulthood and your relationship with your parents wasn't defined by the word friendship. Well, let's talk a little bit about how to hedge the bets, how to lean things forward. And we're going to go through a a couple of passages in the Bible where God's going to share with us, our Heavenly Father is going to share with us some practical wisdom about parenting. And if you're single in the room and you don't even have kids, you're not even sure what's going to happen, that's fine. You should listen anyway. Because this is what, in an ideal situation, your family of origin should have been talking with you about and some values that should have been instilled. And if that didn't happen, it's okay. It's okay because it's not too late to get started on the right stuff. It's never too late to get started doing the right thing, no matter what environment you were brought up in, all right? So let's talk about four big things, four big goals, four big values we should be trying to instill in our parenting. Here's the first thing. The idea of healthy friendships. When I think about my role as a parent, I look at God's word and what it has to say. One theme becomes very, very clear, that your friends determine the direction and the quality of life that you're going to live. Your friends determine the direction and the quality of your life. Another way of saying this is show me your friends and I'll show you your future. All right? Healthy friendships right up there on the screen. There we go. Your friends determine the direction and the quality of your life. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Now, this is a principle that as a parent, I want to instill in my kids because I know that the people they hang around with are having an impact on their lives. People have joked with me uh, over, over time, people who've been around church for a while, they, they talk about how difficult pastor's kids can be and what a hard time they have and some of the stupid mistakes they make. And that used to really concern me until I figured out why my kids have a hard go. And my kids have a hard time because they play with your kids. And your kids are rubbing off on my kids in a very bad way. Yeah. Right? Hey, don't, again, don't raise your hands. But if, if, you can, if you've had kids, maybe, maybe you don't have kids, but you remember this. Did you have that one friend that was always trying to pull you or maybe your kids in the wrong direction? And it wasn't that they were bad. They just were, well, they were just stupid. Right? Or, or this way. They just made wrong choices if that was a little too stark. And, and it seemed like they, it would rub off. Well, this is a biblical principle. The Bible talks about the power a friendship. Now, I can't always control who my kids' friends are, but that doesn't mean I'm powerless because I can be afraid of this principle that my kids' friends impact them or I can leverage it. I've learned in in life that if I can't control something, at least often I can leverage it. Even ugly truth, like the principle of compounded interest, for instance, on money. Right? If I have a credit card, compounding interest over time can add up. But I can leverage that truth by paying down the high interest cards more quickly or doing what Dave Ramsey talks about with the snowball effect. I can't change it, but I can leverage it. With healthy friendships, you can leverage the principle of friendship with your kids. Here are a couple of kind of 
questions, critical questions when it comes to friendship to keep in mind, all right? Here's question number one. Do you know the people your kids are engaging? Do you really know these people? Do you know your kids' friends? Because who they hang around with over time, who they're talking with, who has their attention, is going to be important in their life. Now, when I was young, it was always the kids you played with. Now it's the kids maybe they interact with in social media or electronically. Do you know who they're talking to? Because there's a principle of this, that whoever your kids feel accepted by, that's who they're going to let down their guard with. Whoever your kids feel accepted by, that's who they're going to let down their guard with. And I can't always determine who my kids' friends are because that's kind of a shaky dynamic that I can't control. But here's another principle, parents, for you. You can impact the environment that your kids are hanging around in. You can have a lot to say about where they are. And kids tend to make friends with the people they hang around with. That's the way that works. They tend to make friends with the people they hang around with. So if you parents, if me, if I can control the proximity factor, who my kids are hanging around with, I can have influence on who becomes their friends. And I can't control it all. The other thing I can do is I can get to know who they're hanging around with. We wanted as a family to make sure the kids played at our house as often, if not more often, than my kids played at their house. Because I don't know what you're doing in your house. But I know if the kids are in my yard, if they're in our basement, then we have a little bit more control of the environment. And since I can't determine always who my kids' friends are going to be, what I'm going to try to do instead is influence the environment. When I influence the environment, it has a spillover effect. So do you really know who your kids are hanging around with? And one of the principles of parenting that scares me to death is, is that my kids are going to be less taught by me, and instead they're going to catch what I'm actually doing. Life is less taught and more caught by our kids. So the second critical question with healthy friendships before we look at the Bible passage is, do my friends as a parent actively encourage me to do the right thing? Because it's not only my kids' friends that impact them, my friends impact me. So as a parent, I have to ask myself this. Do the people that Jill and I bring into our lives, do they bring out the best in us? Because that's a principle that's true for every single person. If you're 24 in the room today, the people you're hanging around with are having an impact on you. That's either largely good or largely bad. And guess who's responsible for making sure that the quality of the friendship and the impact of the friendship in your life is going well for you? Guess who's the only person in this room, if you're an adult, who's responsible for that? You. You are 100% responsible for the quality of the friendships you allow in your life. As a parent, this is a principle I want to leverage for my kids, but it's a principle I have to live with. That's why, candidly, if I can be honest with you, that's why Jill and I, even before I started Four Corners Church with a team of incredibly committed and passionate and gifted people, before we even rallied with those people to do life with them, Jill and I made church a priority because we wanted a group of people in our lives who weren't perfect. We didn't need that. We wanted a group of people who were largely leaning in the same direction we were leaning in. And even when we get it wrong, we knew what the right should have been. I didn't ever want to sit around with a group of people who were talking about important life decisions and, and everybody kind of comes to the conclusion, well, we have no idea what to say about this. I wanted people to say, look, I don't know exactly what your answer is, but I know that God 
that a relationship with Jesus is a part of the solution. So let's start by looking at Jesus when we don't know what else to do. I wanted that friendship in my life, and I want that for my kids. I want my kids to be asking themselves, do my friends actively encourage me to do the right thing? And if they do, then guess what? They can be close friends. And if they don't, they have to be friends at a distance. And guess who's responsible for that? When they're five, I am. When they're five to 12, it begins to shift a little bit. And by the time they're 18, guess who is responsible? They are. And it's my job to help them see that. I'm not making this up, even though I don't even have to turn to the Bible to see this principle. I can just draw from my years of teaching. Otherwise, pretty good kids making incredibly stupid decisions. And when you trace it back, of course the kid's responsible. But there was a lot of influence being peddled. A lot of people who had accepted those kids into their lives then got a lot of influence in their lives. I don't have to go to the Bible, but just because the Bible is the source of wisdom. It's the gift of our heavenly father into our lives. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Here's what it says. That if you walk with the wise, guess what? It rubs off. (laughs) You can become wise. If your friends are largely good for you, it produces good things. For a companion of fools suffers harm. If you hang around foolish people making unwise decisions over time, their mistakes are going to rub off on you. Kids never think that's true, but it is. And most of you in the room are old enough to know it. And as a parent, you can actually leverage this. You have to live this principle yourself, but you can also begin to help have influence on the environments in which your kids are engaging other kids. Healthy friendships is a powerful thing. Maybe as an adult, you don't have those. Well, this is a good place to start trying to build them. That's why we're launching small groups right now. You can actually find a small group and hopefully make some friendships that are largely going in the same direction and get the benefit of this principle. Here's here's kind of a, a goal number two, if you will, for parenting. Healthy friendships and then wise choices. My kids are tired of me saying to them as they're exiting out the door or out of the car, Make wise choices today. I sound like one of those parents on TV or one of those always smiling, but it's so true, isn't it? Every day, they're gonna have an opportunity to be invited into something or to do something. And I want them to pass that opportunity or that invitation through the lens of wisdom because we're meant to analyze every opportunity and every invitation through the lens of wisdom. So what does that mean when I say through the lens of wisdom? Let me give you a critical question. Right? Am I about to satisfy my immediate desire at the expense of what is really important? So here's my kid. As a parent, I'm concerned about him, but I can't be there always. So over time, I have to start instilling in them this question. You're in the moment. You're given an invitation. You're given an opportunity. Here's the question. The question is not, is it right or wrong? That's a good question. It's an appropriate question, right? It has its place, but that's not the first question I want my kids asking. I want them to simply ask this. Is this good for me right now? Or am I about to trade temporary, in-the-moment pleasure for something I really care more about later? That's really hard when they're five years old. It's difficult when they're 12. But by the time they're 18, what I want my kids doing is I want them thinking for themselves. When they're young, I have to think for them. When they're five, I just keep them away from the fire, right? They're, they're, They're drawn to it. All three of my boys are pyromaniacs. I'm just telling you, they love camping. They don't like camping. They like the fire. 
That's what that's about. They're all, and, and so I, I, I want them to have engagement. Fire fun, fire fun, right? But I want them to go, all right, I want to get in the fire. I want to touch the fire. But am I about to trade some temporary satisfaction of pleasure at the expense of some future pain? I touch the fire now, I get satisfied, but then it hurts for a long time. Now, that's a silly illustration, but apply that across the spectrum of life. Critical question number one. Am I about to satisfy? No, no, listen, moms and dads. This isn't just for kids. This is adults. Am I about to trade some temporary pleasure, some immediate satisfaction for something I really care about long term? And some of the problem in our parenting comes from the fact that some parents like me have traded a temporary satisfaction for a long-term goal. And it costs us. So I can't just tell this to my kid, be wise, make wise choices. Because I'll teach them, but it's primarily caught. Here's critical question number two. The best question is not, is it right or wrong? That's an important question. I think it matters. But in the moment, the best question is, in light of where I really want to go, is this wise for me? Wise. Because it may be okay. It may be legal. It may be morally acceptable in some environment. But that is not the standard that I want my kids to measure. I want them to ask, is it wise for me to go to this place and do that thing now that I'm 21? Now that I'm about to get married? Now that I'm having this opportunity? Now that this friend has invited me to this thing, now that I have this business thing, I want all those choices in adulthood to be filtered through wisdom. But if I wait till adulthood to start talking about wisdom, I might not plant the seeds deep enough. And even if I do, I know they're imperfect. They're going to make mistakes anyway. But at least I want them to have to step over these principles to make them. See, See what I'm talking about? It's like, if your kids aren't perfect, welcome to the club. Mine aren't either. Mine are pretty good though. And I want them to have to literally step over, climb over these fences to be stupid. And they're going to be stupid on occasion. I am too. But I want them to have to climb over barbed wire fence to be dumb. All right? I want them to be amazing. And I know that in youth, you can make some decisions that you might pay for for a lifetime. Mark Twain said that nobody should make an important decision at all in life until they're 30 years old. I think he's right. I wish I had not made any important decisions until I was 30. I only got a couple of them right. Jesus and my wife. Most of the other ones were mistakes. All right? Ephesians chapter 5. Here's what the Bible says. Be very careful then. How you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. In other words, the stakes are high here. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I want my kids to say... In light of the fact that God has given me life and he has a call on my life, God has a purpose for me. Is this the wise thing to do? That's what I want for my kids. That's what I want for myself. Healthy friendships, wise choices. Here's kind of benchmark number three or checkpoint number three. How to know if you're hitting it. Like, what are we even shooting for? Respect for authority. Respecting authority. I want my kids to know this, that maximum freedom is not about walking without restriction. It's about walking within the right restrictions. I want them to know that there's this authority called the government, and the government posts speed limit signs. And they're there for their good. I don't want my 16-year-old driving a car going, that sign, I reject the authority. America's not a perfect country. 
pretty good country, by the way. It's not a perfect country, but because it's not a perfect country, I can reject the authority of this place. And so that sign doesn't apply to me. I don't want my kids doing that. I want them to respect authority. Because maximum freedom for them is found not without restrictions, but operating in right restrictions. And in order for them to get that when they're young, I have to begin to teach them to respect authority. Now, I'm just, as a teacher, going to say to you, this is, seems to me in our culture to be a low priority in parenting. How I talk to my wife since she is an authority in our home and an authority in my kid's life, is going to have an impact on how they respond to her authority. How she talks to me since I'm an authority in their life is going to have an impact on how they respect authority. That's kind of where it begins. How I engage my responsibility as a citizen is going to have an impact on how they respect authority. Now, I know there are all kinds of issues that should be dealt with politically and socially like the limits of authority and the types of authority and how far is authority. That's all well and good, and as a culture, we're engaging some of that stuff right now. That's actually good for us. But my first responsibility is in my home, and in my home, authority gets respected. That's the end of the discussion because that's good for us. And here's how I can help my kids to understand that critical question number one. Who's telling me to do this? Who is telling me to do this? Sometimes I'll say to my kids when I give them a rule that they don't want to follow. All right, who's telling you to do this? And they'll say, well, you are. And I'll say, all right, you're exactly right, it's me. Let me tell you a little bit about me. I love you. I only want the best for you. I'm asking you to do this because I think it's best for you. Long term, I think it's going to put you where you want to be anyway. So let's do this thing, okay, and quit fighting me on it. Because it's not so much about the rule, it's about my heart for you. How do you think your dad thinks about you? You love me. You only want good for me. And a little louder, please. <laughs> I don't do that. I don't do that. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're exactly right. That's exactly what I want. Now, I can be wrong, but what we aren't going to be unclear about is my heart for you. So even if you don't like this, and even if when you're an adult you think this is foolish, right now this is what we're going to do. Now, I'm not telling you that's the answer to everything, but very often that little scenario has brought the temperature down in our conversations because it's not about the rule. It's often about the who. So critical question number two on this respecting authority thing is how do I talk about and respond to authority in my own life? How do they see me? That's why my lie about my wife needing to go to the restroom excusing my speeding was so undermining of what we ultimately want to do. It was a lie. That's bad in and of itself. That's wrong. But long-term, it's the respect for authority. I still speed, but I don't lie anymore. I get many more tickets. Now, where does this come from? Is this just like practical? Yeah, but it's God's word. Which, again, your heavenly Father has given you the gift of, of insight into life, all right? That's why, as a pastor, I want you to read God's word. I want you to sit in small groups and discuss it. Romans 13, 1 through 2. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities, rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. I know there are exceptions, but the general rule for my 5-year-old, 12-year-old, and 15-year-old is 
We respect authority because authority flows from God. Authority sets boundaries for people when they're not wise enough to set them for themselves. So we respect authority. I respect your mother. She respects my word because we're going to model that. And here's a couple of hints. When someone tells you what to do, the issue is not what but who. Let me tell you the other reason I want to establish this. Because God has a plan for my kids. But that's not the only plan for them. They have one. It shifts with the sand and the wind. And the enemy of their soul has a plan for them. And I want them to know that if God says it, that really is the end of the discussion. Now their response is obedience, not debate. And if we haven't respected authority in my home, and then at some point I want them to respond to the ultimate authority of the universe, the Lord, they're going to wonder to what degree do they need to do that. I don't want my kids having that debate. Now they will, all humans do, but again, I want them to climb over barbed wires to get beyond these principles to disobey their heavenly father. When they do, they'll experience grace, but they'll also be given doses of truth. Sometimes that truth comes in consequences. As a parent, I want to limit some of those consequences. I want to help them. And when they experience those negative consequences, I want them to connect the dots. Oh, maybe next time I should take God at his word because his authority isn't about what he told me to do. It's about his character and his heart for me. So as a parent, I want to help them make some healthy friendships. And that's hard. It's a mess. I want to help them make wise choices, but they're going to make a lot of stupid ones along the way. I want to get them to respect authority and respect me even when I'm not always a valid authority because the way I've acted and the way I talk somehow invalidates my authority. And number four, I want them to have authentic faith. True faith moves beyond just believing about God or in God as if he exists. And it actually steps into believing God. Like, I'm going to take you at your word. We have confidence in his character and we trust he will do what he's promised. I don't just believe he exists, but I actually stake my claim on him as a person of faith who believes deeply that life with God is really the only way to enjoy life, that all joy is ultimately found in living in harmony with God. I want my kids to be happy. I do. But I'm not going to trade happiness in the moment for long-term and lasting joy. And to get them there, they have to have an authentic faith, which means, as a parent, mom and dad, I have to have an authentic faith. You know, there's there's a big popular phrase out there, a lot of people saying, I'm a Christian, but I'm not perfect. Absolutely. But it's built on a misconception that somehow Christians are supposed to be perfect. (laughs) The very notion of being Christian means you're not perfect, period, or else there's no need for Jesus. We didn't become Christians and get our lives cleaned up, and then God looked at us and says, oh, I kind of like you now. Welcome to heaven. That's not the way it works. Of course you're not perfect, but that's not the standard. The standard is an authentic faith with God. That's what I want in my kid's life. That's what I want in my life. So the question, critical question number one is, is since faith is caught and not really taught, what would my kids say about my faith? Before I worry about them, what would they say about mine? How would they even know how to measure it? I'll tell you, they tend to look at my words and my actions. Words and actions, not words or actions, not actions over words, not words over actions, words and actions. My faith 
is caught by my kids, not just taught. We do a lot of teaching. But critical question number two for me, do I trust God with all the critical areas of my life? If I want the Lord to be a part of my kid's life, he has to be a deep part of mine. And they're going to hear my words. They're going to watch my actions. Let me make it more real. They're going to hear my words and they're going to see my calendar, my time. Where does dad invest his time? Just in the things that make dad enjoy life? Or does dad give time to the things of God? We're trying to live out Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I want this for my kids. Listen to this, parents. And lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he'll make your path straight. Wouldn't it be great if every kid in this church did this from this point forward? But wouldn't it be great if every adult did this? Our kids will learn not to be perfect, but have an authentic faith as we as individuals press into this. This is why even if you don't have kids and this is a part of, you know, this church is a part of your life, you have to. You have to step into authentic faith because you're a part of this community here. And we're so grateful for that. Jill and I love the fact we haven't raised our kids alone. We've had people in small groups who have invested in our kids. My kids serve in the life of this church. They're adults investing in their life. Those adults, not one of them are perfect, and they're not hypocrites. They're living an authentic faith before God, pressing in, and it's rubbing off. And your kids can have that experience too. But at the core, you have to want it for you. The best way to have the transmission of faith into the life of our kids is for your faith to be deep. This notion, and I know there's going to be some people in the room who disagree with me here. It's okay. You can disagree with me. I think you're wrong, but you're welcome to disagree with me. The idea, I'm just going to raise my kids, and I'm going to give them a plethora of opportunities. Choose your faith. Choose or not choose. Do whatever. I think that's the most foolish and stupid thing I've ever heard. You did that with food, I'm assuming. Here it is, chocolate cake or healthy food. Choose. Choose, kids. I don't want to direct your life. Choose. School or no school. I don't want to choose for you. Faith or no faith or which faith. I think that's foolish. Live an authentic faith with Jesus and watch the impact. That has on your kids. We want them to believe. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Ellen, Connor, John, Max. Don't be perfect, but trust in him. See, here's a hint. If you look at your words and look at your calendar, you're going to know what kind of faith your kids are catching. You're going to know it. You won't have to wonder. You can ask them. But look at your words and look at what are you talking about? Because out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth is going to speak. Look at your calendar because over time, what you give time to is your value, no matter what you say it is. And if everything eclipses your words and your calendar and the things of God are always second and third priorities, then you know what kind of faith is being projected. We have an opportunity today to step it up a bit. Because the stakes are high. Whether our kids are 5 or 18 or 30, we can step it up. And over the next few weeks as a congregation, we're going to talk deeply about this. And our hope is to give you some encouraging words and empower you. So with that said, why don't you grab out that Connect card that you've begun to fill out at the beginning of our service. And let's take a few steps together as a congregation. I've talked a lot about your Heavenly Father wanting a relationship with you. In fact, the word he chooses to identify himself worth more than anything else in the Bible is father. And maybe today you know about him, but you're not really trusting him. 
If that's true, right there on your Connect card, there's an opportunity for you to change that right now and to take next step A. Next step A says this, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. Your heavenly Father gave the gift of his one and only Son who gave his life on a cross and was resurrected from the tomb so that you and I can have a relationship with him. And if you'll put your faith and trust in him, the Bible says that you can have an authentic, growing relationship with your heavenly Father. Not anything you do, something you put your trust in. You believe what's already been done for you. The Bible says it this way. You acknowledge that you're a sinner. It's a way of saying you're not perfect. You've blown it. If you have, join the club. But then you ask God to wash away your sins. You trust him as the leader or the Lord, it's the biblical word, the Lord of your life, the leader of your life. We'd ask you to take that pen and check next step A. And when the offering buckets come by at the end of the service, you'll just put them in there. This week, a member of our team will communicate with you through email about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus, to be a part of God's family. You're not joining our church. You're not signing up to give money. You're not going to bombard you with a dozen emails. We just want to let you know what that means. And in a moment, I'm going to pray. And you can use your words. You can borrow mine and you can say to God, God, I've known about you, but today I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you with my life. Would you forgive my sin? Would you lead my life? Or perhaps today you need to get, you need to make the decision that you're going to get baptized. So if you want to check that box, a member of our team will be in touch with you there at Next Step B. And they'll answer your questions, maybe get you signed up to go public with your faith in Jesus. That's what baptism is. I'm going to go public with my friends and I'm a part of this Jesus thing. Here's next step C. It simply says, sign me up for small groups. So in that catalog on your seats, there's an opportunity for you to sign up for a small group. You simply take the number of the small group, write it next to next step C, and you're in. Or you put it in there, you're gonna get an email. You can fire back your questions, get more detail about it, whatever. But that's a one-step process here. I hope you'll take advantage of this and get some friends around you going in the same direction. Next step D. Who would say this? I'm gonna make a real effort to continue attending the My Awesome Kids message series. So I'm gonna be a part of all four to the best of my ability. I wanna continue this conversation that we've started today. I hope you'll do that. And then finally, next step B. Here's a prayer I'm praying every morning this week. Maybe you can pray it with me. By checking the box, I'll send it to you. An email, here's what it says. God, today help me to better understand what it means for you to be my heavenly father so I can know and trust you more. Know and trust you more. Let's pray about these things right now. Lord, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. God, thank you for the parents in our lives. They were imperfect at best. But God, most of all, thank you for being our heavenly father. And where our earthly parents have failed us, you can be trusted upon. You can be relied upon. God, help us to know and trust you more. I pray for each parent in this room, God. Grow our hearts for you, even as you grow our hearts for our children. I pray for the people in this room who today's conversation kind of, it's like bumping a sore elbow. It just, it hurts a bit. God, would you bring your peace and comfort to them? Would you draw them closer to you? I lift up those that are declaring, Jesus, wash away my sins. Become the Lord of my life. I trust you. I trust you. And Father, I pray you would grow the influence of this church to help families do family well for the benefit of this community and for the benefit of this world. We pray it in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy son of God. Amen and amen.